0: did not get a big payday in free agency. He got a crappy one-year deal for chump change. But Kenny Galladay did get a big payday in free agency. He went from Detroit to the New York football giants, and Kenny Galladay got $72 bucks over four years. It can max out at seventy-six mil. And $40 million of that is guaranteed. Juju is younger than Kenny Galladay. Juju stays healthy. Galladay only played five games last year. Galladay gets better yards per catch, but otherwise, Juju stats are comparable and mostly better. So why did Galladay get the big deal and Juju did not? You tell me, call 412-333-WXDX or tweet at MarkMaddenX, but I think I can tell you why. Because Kenny Galladay isn't a dancing clown. He's not a pain in the ass with all the ancillary stuff, and that must matter because Galladay got what he got, and Juju came crawling back to Pittsburgh for a low-ball offer. We are also finding out that the quote-unquote better offers that Juju got were mostly fabricated, that his agent called around to teams like Philadelphia and Baltimore and Kansas City to try to create buzz and thus create leverage, and that obviously did not work, although the lie might have saved a little face after the fact if you're gullible enough to believe them. But let's stick to the basic question. Why did Galladay get paid... And Juju did not, but I think you already know, in football, guys get paid what they're worth. Here's another basic question. Are the Steelers a better team now, on paper, than they were at the end of last season? Once Steven Nelson leaves, the cornerback, they will have lost five starters on defense, including, admittedly, only one playmaker in Bud Dupree, but still... That's losing five regulars from an elite defensive unit, and only Dupree was a star, but the rest were considered these glue guys. Well, the glue gone. That defense is going to fall apart now? Another thing to consider, the offensive line stinks. It might be one of the worst in the league, and that's even if they draft a tackle in the first round. But at least they have a good slot receiver. Again, that's no kidding about that O line. Right now, that O line shapes up as maybe the worst in football. This is the Mark Madden show. If I have a dime for every time I turned on the radio and heard somebody more charismatic than me, I would have zero dimes. 412 333 WXDX is the number to call. Or you could tweet me at MarkMaddenX. I keep getting told that there's a narrative with Juju. There's no narrative with Juju. He got what he got. There's 32 teams. The league doesn't see him as an impact player. So he had to take a crappy one-year deal to limp back to Pittsburgh. That's a fact. All the big plays his stooges like to quote, like those couple of 97-yard touchdowns, those happened when A.B. was here and absorbed most of the coverage. That's a fact. Juju's biggest season was 2018, when A.B. was here, and absorbed most of the coverage. That's a fact. Juju fumbled away a big game in each of the last three seasons. That's a fact. And after Juju signed, he was very quickly seen dancing in his underwear on TikTok. You heard me. He was dancing in his underwear on TikTok, including uh, briefly sitting on a toilet seat and gyrating with the lid closed, thank God. That's what the Steelers are now. The Steelers used to be Jack Lambert slamming down Cliff Harrison the Super Bowl. That was Super Bowl Ten after he taunted Roy Girella for missing a field goal. That's what the Steelers used to be. Now they're a bunch of clowns dancing. That's what the Steelers are now. Go to my blog. Go to WXDX.com. I posted a video of Jack Lambert. I posted four videos of various Steelers, mostly Juju, dancing like idiots. That's what the Steelers are now. People keep saying that Juju staying didn't mean Nelson leaving or Hilton leaving or... Alou leaving, right, because Juju was a free cap hit. His cap hit don't count because he's such a good dancer on TikTok. For every action in a cap league, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And people talk about the voidable years that lessened Juju's cap hit. Well, you can apply voidable years to any contract. Maybe you could have kept Hilton with voidable years. Because you needed Hilton more than you need Juju, to make one example. This is terrible roster management, but hey, you know what they say about the third generation of a family business. But hey, you tell me, why did the Steelers do what they did? Why did they keep the slot receiver and let five regulars walk away from an elite defense? And let's get back to the initial question of today's program. Why did Galladay get paid and Juju did not? I know it was a tough year for wide receivers and free agency because there were a lot available. And the draft is loaded, too, with wide receivers. But Galladay did get paid. He did and Juju didn't. A couple other receivers got paid, like Corey Davis with the Jets, and Juju didn't. The entire NFL sees Juju as an exceptional. Yo, peep this. A.J. Green is 32 years old and way past his prime. And he got the same deal in Arizona that Juju did in Pittsburgh. What happened there? Never mind Galladay. What happened there? You know who made this decision, don't you? G.M. Ben. G.M. Ben. He's a lame duck, and he's still calling the shots. G.M. Ben. Maybe Villanueva's going to stay. Maybe Poncia and McDonald unretire. Maybe Switzer comes back. Let's keep the band together. Of course, it's a band that won three playoff games in 10 years. It's a band that's playing dive bars in not big arenas. And by the way, I still think Ben can be real good. He just can't do it over 16 games. Anyway, turning now to the Penguins. They lost to New Jersey yesterday, 2-1 in overtime. So without Gino, they dropped three out of a possible six points to New Jersey And that's not good. Jari played okay yesterday, although he was out to lunch on the overtime goal. The Penguins played hard hockey for 60 minutes like they always do. And defensively, they have been very sound. The defensemen have been a lot smarter. They picked their spots on the pinch better. Just a big upgrade has been made by the Penguins defensively. And that's team-wide, not just with the defense score. But my complaint from yesterday is nobody goes to the net. The Crosby line plays exciting hockey and got that one great goal, but nothing greasy. No second and third chances, and that goes for the whole team. And the bottom six is absolutely pathetic. You got these bums like Gaudreau and Sefior and Jankowski who are lucky to be in the league, and I just don't see any urgency. Nobody steps up, and you need guys to step up when a key player is out. I remember 92 when Mario and Joe Mullen got hurt in the playoffs. And the Penguins used the Muskegon line, called up from their Muskegon farm team, Jock Callender, Dave McIllick, and Mike Needham. And those guys came through. They were just a bunch of minor leaguers, but they stepped up to the situation. They could not have done it over the long haul, but they didn't need to. Just step up short term. The bums the Penguins got now, they can't even step up for one shift. That said, I do not endorse making a trade just to plug a hole. Because what are you trying to salvage? One and done in the playoffs is something this team, as is, can do. And what's the difference between doing that and not even making it? And I hate to criticize the Sid line because it scored five goals in those three games against New Jersey, but you need quantity, not quality. And maybe that's unfair, but it's also reality. The Penguins were extremely tired. That was their fifth game in seven days, and that's absurd even with the schedule packed tight because of COVID. No hockey team should have to do that under any circumstance. But Latang was still amazing. Played 25 minutes, got six shots on goal. Letang has been a godsend for over a month now. We had a great story in high school basketball. The Upper St. Clair High School boys team had only six players and no coaches available because of COVID. Only three starters were available, and they still beat Erie Saturday in a 6A state quarterfinal. That's incredible. That's not some regular season game against a crap school. That's a 6A state quarterfinal. Those kids deserve a lot of credit. Uh, Some 20-year-old college player came back and ran the bench. Going to talk to Luke Gensler, senior port guard for Upper St. Clair. He split his lip. He twisted his ankle. He just kept playing. Amazing story. Luke's going to join us at about a quarter after five. Now, if this is like the movie Hoosiers, I wonder, is Luke, Jimmy Chitwood? Who's Ollie? Uh, I was at the big international wrestling cartel 20th anniversary show on Saturday, and Elizabeth, what a fantastic card of indie wrestling. I called a match on DVD with my man, Joe Dombrowski, who should be in the big time. Elias sent in a tape. Because he started there. So did DJ Z, Dr. Britt Baker, and Wardlow from AEW. They came back to where they started to pay tribute, and Wardlow effed some people up. It was great. Britt Baker loves the Steelers. She took a picture of the two of us, posted on Twitter, because she wants me to take it easy on Juju. But I'm like, Doc, I'm not sure that's something I can promise. A lot of Penguin Talk today. Rob Rossi at the bottom of the hour. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 The X. This report is sponsored by Valspar. A bit heavy on the Parkway East, outbound from Oakland to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Inbound slowing, Edgewood-Swissfield to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. They never have sex unless it's on video. The X at 105.9. The Steelers have lost all at uh, any free agency, the edge rusher. He signed a one-year deal with Tennessee. So now the Steelers have two outside linebackers of NFL caliber, those being T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith. Two, that's it. Not like that's an important position. I mean, neither is cornerback. They are going to lose a starter there. Lost their blitz nickel, but hey, at least they have four receivers. GM Ben He knows what's important. Just let GM Ben make all the decisions. 412-333-WXDX, the number to call. Uh, Okay, uh, the, the Juju signing has been fabricated in terms of positive PR appeal. His free agency was a failure, and since then it's been a lie. Now here's some of the biggest chunks of BS in this whole Juju story. Juju didn't get better offers. I told you that right away, and now it's being exposed. When Juju got his crappy deal, uh, we were told the money just wasn't there for receivers. Galladay proved it is. Juju didn't stay because he loves Pittsburgh, and that will be exposed next year because as soon as Ben quits, Juju is out of here. Unless it is, of course, once again, the only crappy offer he can get. There are many undeniable truths in this whole story. And one of them is Juju can't get away from press coverage. When his Stooges look at his crappy yards per catch of 8.6, they're like, oh, all they do is throw him the short ball. That's right. And that is because Juju can't get away from press coverage to get upfield unless A.B. is on the other side, and that's been proven. Here's another undeniable truth. All his antics hurt him. The social media... The dancing, the logo drama, the logo drama is when he crossed the line into being not worth the trouble. Up till then, it was just narcissism, but when the other team claims they derived motivation from what Juju did, that turned GMs off. GMs don't like to deal with that stuff at all, especially when it comes to a mediocre player. Uh, all of Juju's branding might get him chump change on Twitch and Twitter, but it cost him money on his football contract. Everyone said Juju would go to the Jets, but I got told the Jets weren't interested because of the drama and the Jets signed two other receivers and one of them, Corey Davis, he got three years at 37.5 mil. He got the deal Juju wanted. The Jets passed on Juju twice. So nearly everything said about why and how Juju returned to Pittsburgh is just a whopper of a lie. But you can't see the truth if you don't want to. So many excuses get made for Juju's mediocrity, but that crappy contract doesn't lie. Juju is the Paris Hilton of wide receivers. He's famous for being famous. If you want to be glad Juju's back, hey, go ahead. But he's not that good, and he lost in free agency. Uh, Twitter is all over me because of my stance on Juju. That's okay. I know more people agree with me than don't. More the Pittsburgh media agrees with me than don't, except many won't say that because they carry the water. But I'm right about this, and always was. And if I would lose every single listener and every single reader and every single job I have because I'm telling the truth about Juju, I would wear that like a congressional medal of honor because the truth is the truth, and Juju is a clown, and the Steelers are a team of clowns, and I lost all respect and any emotional attachment to the Steelers when A.B. took the culture and ruined it, and the coach and so-called leaders stood around and let it happen, and now Juju is just doing everything he can to make sure that team's a dumpster fire. And if you say it's not the culture, okay, let's look at when A.B. started taking over and everything that's happened since then with the culture. What's their record in that time? Oh, yeah, three playoff wins in ten years. Now, maybe that's not caused the culture, but the timeline parallels. I keep asking you. I keep asking you. I did last week. Nobody will answer. Why'd they only win three playoff games in 10 years despite the talent they had? And you won't answer it, but you know why. Uh, Things can get a lot worse before they get better, too. Uh, GN Mike Tannenbaum was on ESPN. Here's what he said about the Steelers. They brought back Ben Roethlisberger. They resigned Juju, and they still have questions at left tackle, center, and running back. I think this is a team that could very well wind up with one of the top five picks in next year's draft. Unquote. Well, if that happens, I won't need Viagra till they put me six feet under. I can tell you that for sure. All right, Rob Rossi next. 105.9. This is Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson. Here's what's trending on the iHeart Sports Network. Presented by Universal Windows Direct. West Virginia is being added to the list of early NCAA. Call back when you're coherent. VX at 105.9. Penguins with a disappointing loss yesterday to New Jersey. They dropped three out of six points to the Devils. Joining me now to discuss, he covers hockey for the Athletic.com. He is Rob Rossi. Rob, uh, given the injuries, I can't be too mad the Steelers dropped those three points to New Jersey. But that still hurt because the other playoff contenders probably won't do that.
1: Well, the one good thing about this situation is some of these playoff teams that they're in competition with, Mark, have already played the Devils and Sabres quite a bit. Um, so you can, you can make an argument for teams like, say, the Capitals uh, and the Islanders. They've sort of fattened up already on the weaker uh, teams in the division. But that said, they did fatten up on them. So if all things are going to be equal, the Penguins need to do the same. I agree with you, though. Given the deficiencies in the lineup right now compared to what you would expect of the Penguins when healthy, um, I don't know that three of six is good, but I don't know that it's awful.
0: Oh, no. Like I said, I I can't get upset about it, but they might need those points when when the standings are added up at year's end. Now. How do the Penguins manufacture more production
1: below the Sid line without Gino? Oh, geez. I, you know, that's a great question, Mark. Honestly, I think that their best hope right now to manage more production is to take the components of that line and hope that it carries over to a productive power play. I mean, if the Penguins can, well, this is easier said than done, but if they could somehow figure out a way to average one power play goal a game during this stretch, of the next you know three weeks um it's going to increase their chances greatly of of staying in this playoff hunt and and maybe even challenging for home ice in round one but other than that i mean you're going to have to hope somebody gives you something that's unexpected and and given the injury to tanev too and i think that's critical here because it's not just that they're down their second and third centers and one of their top six wingers but you know they're they're now down four of their top nine forwards. And as we saw, Mark, and I think this is really the only comparison, as we saw in 2010-11 when they were without Crosby and Malkin and Matt Cook, what that does is it not only has a trickle-down affected even strength, but also on the penalty kill. And what you really need there is your goaltender to not only get you to overtime, but in overtime and the shootout be perfect. And, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury back in 2010 and 11 was the team MVP because their whole their whole strategy back then without those players was get it to the shootout and overtime, or overtime and the shootout, excuse me, and there you have the best goalie in the league at both. They're going to really need Jari and DeSmith, who have been really good uh, the last couple of weeks, they're going to need those guys when these games do go beyond 60. They have no room for error, and that's a tough thing for a goalie, Mark, but that's the way it is. Oh, no, no, you're perfectly correct. Uh, Jari played great, but you're
0: still going to make that save in overtime. It's like the Sid line. The Sid line got five goals against New Jersey in those three games, and they were all great goals. But how about quantity, not quality, get a little bit more greasy, and if that's unfair, and it is, that's also what's needed.
1: I don't disagree with you, Mark. I will say that I thought uh, Saturday in New Jersey might have been Sidney Crosby's best game. In the no past no question. Um, and, you know, he and Jake uh, and Rust. I mean, look, there's a lot on their shoulders. I think that line works best when they are greasier, as, as you said. Sometimes Sid and Jake get this, you know, magical mystery two-man game working, and they get a little too... Uh, I don't want to say fancy because that's not the word, but they get a little too in love with uh, turning rush opportunities into sort of the primary way they generate. Um, that said, again, given everything they're asking of, of that line right now, I think if they can give you, a, a, you know, two points a game – boy just need somebody somewhere else and, and this might be a case mark where a guy i've been critical of this year um mike matheson can be a real asset to them because the one thing he's great at is offense from the back end and it may be worth him taking even more chances right now to to try to get them the goals that they're going to struggle without these guys now i'm going to guess
0: that you would not break up sid gunsell and rice to try to artificially create more balance uh some people are talking putting Jake at center. I don't see it no, when him and Crosby are on not. this kind of
1: run. No, and Jake's not a center. I mean, he's a winger in the NHL. I, I, know he, I know he came up and played some center, but that that's in a you know break glass if necessary situation. Now, you're probably one more injury to a center away from breaking that glass, but if that's the case, then they're going to have to go out and do something to address the, uh, the center issue right now. But, no, I – no, I I think the most overrated thing in hockey, Mark, is this obsession with balanced scoring. It's nice if you have a team like the Penguins did in 16 or the Tampa Bay Lightning or the the, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights, but that's because those teams have a ton of offensive talent. To me, I look more like – I like the way Colorado does things, which is you kind of load up your best players – and you count on them to score. And, and this team is built that way when they're healthy. I don't think you go away from it now. We're talking to Rob Rossi of com here on 105.9
0: The X. Now, uh, people are clamming for a trade. What's your call? Would you make a trade?
1: Who would you trade? And for what? Um, I don't think I would, if only because there's going to be limited opportunities to make one. You know, Mark, this is a unique year and that goes without saying, but you have to think of it this way. If you're going to make a trade with a team in the North division, that team's probably going to want to do that deal right now, you know, sometime this week, right? Because that team's going to have to wait two weeks to get a player that it acquires uh, back into the lineup. So that probably rules out the North if you're not talking about this week. I don't think you're going to have teams in this division trade. Maybe Buffalo, but, I mean, what does Buffalo have that, you really want outside of Eric Stahl, and a lot of teams are going to want him. And now you're talking about two other divisions you'd be trading with where three of those teams are in, you know, real tough battles to get what will be important home ice advantage in each of those divisions uh, for those best-of-seven series in round one. So I think making a trade is going to be difficult. I wouldn't move one of the defensemen right now, not because I think they – not because I don't think they could move a Marcus Pettison, but I think the value on him will be better in the summer. And given the way the schedule breaks down, Mark, I'd be hesitant to move uh, anybody from a defense core that right now can sustain a, an injury or COVID case or whatever and not be completely decimated compared to the forwards. If I could get something where I run Hexstall, to me it's it's really about can you acquire the type of third-line center or third-line player that you could maybe pair with a returning Jason Zucker and make that Tanev, Bluger, Czar line, when healthy, your fourth line. Because if you could do that, I think you can get a real interesting dynamic by having McCandy, the off-winger with, across or with with Malkin and Kapanen, but that player's going to be really hard to get given the assets that they don't have.
0: Well, yeah, that's the problem. There's not much trade capital at Ron Hextall's disposable and, disposal. And I agree. I can't give up Pedersen for like a, a third line guy. The Penguins need to restock their system a lot more than they need to salvage a playoff berth in a first round exit. Because if you believe the window's open, that's one thing. I don't think Hextall believes that. I think he's hopeful but I don't think he would commit to that via a big trade.
1: No, Mark. And here's the interesting thing about this season, right? You can make an argument that the team that comes out of the East playoffs uh, might luck into a situation where the North, the Toronto Maple Leafs in this case, end up with the best record because all the teams in the the Midwest or uh, Central, excuse me, and the West – uh, those top three teams are beating the snot out of each other, keep the point totals low, and then somehow the West and the Central play each other when they recede for the conference final, and then the East winner gets the North team, which I think you and I would agree the East team would be favored in that in our minds because we're just not sure how good, say, Toronto is, but that's a lot of what ifs. Uh, yeah. the other thing is, now, but, but that could happen, but the other thing is, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about salary cap space, and I'll just warn people, and we got something up at The Athletic a little bit that touches on this. Um, cap space, they're not going to want – they are clearing – they are sort of sneakily saving every dime they can under the cap by making use of the taxi squad right now. But there's a real reason for them not to risk going over the salary cap um, this year at any point because even if they can from LTI, because you don't want overages next year, which could take away some assets. And Ron Hextall right now is in the asset collection business. He wants to get more assets. You don't want to go over and have overages cost you assets. So I think for a lot of reasons, the best thing for the Penguins might be standing pat Uh, Because let's face it, they're another injury from, say, a significant player away from not being able to correct it anyway.
0: Here's a weird idea, Rob, and and it's the kind of idea I would normally laugh at uproariously and criticize the caller, but hear me out because I think the bottom six right now is just excrable. There are five (laughs) guys going out there every night that you know aren't going to score, and they're not raising their game based on the opportunity would you move Ricola to wing? He has skill. They've done it before. To me, it has to be worth a try. Is that the defense that you'd move to wing? Well, who else? I mean, you're not going to move Tanger because he produces No, from... I mean,
1: I, I'd, I'd, if they trusted Ricola more on defense, the guy I'd think about moving to wing would be Matheson because I actually think every part of his skill set would transfer very well. To wait. And I'm normally, Mark, I'm like you. I think it's an absurd notion to suggest normally, but, um, they have two guys that you could possibly do it with. And I, and I tend to agree with you right now. What, what, what are the better options? But boy, I mean, from what I've seen of Matheson and his defensive deficiencies, and I know they love the way they move, he moves the puck, but I think that's a guy you could put on the wing and and he might do some damage, but you know, I wouldn't not think about. But I wouldn't be averse to them thinking about Ricola because when he was there, he wasn't awful. And I think he brings some elements just with the way he plays physically that some of these other guys don't have, which would serve them well. I wouldn't want to do it full time, but for this stretch, I don't see harm in thinking about it. Yesterday
0: was the Penguins' fifth game in seven days, and it certainly showed, didn't it? I, I know because of COVID and the circumstances, the schedule's packed pretty tight, but – Five games in seven days is absurd, regardless of the circumstance.
1: Yeah, and it's tough because, you know, every team's facing something, right? But I think for a team like this that's on pace to have, you know, the second most man games lost in franchise history, if it were an 82-game season, it's particularly gutting, especially when, let's face it, the guy's there without all, you know, you're that two of your top penalty killers now, and you're in a situation where, (laughs) You're without an Evgeny Malkin who was sort of coming on and the team was taking on his personality. And I, I think the Penguins are often best when they, they take on Malkin's personality, but they, they play with the consistency that, that Crosby brings. So yeah, five and seven is too much. Mark, look, it's, it's the reality of this season. The hockey's not going to be very pretty no matter who they're playing against because the schedule is too compact. And again, that goes back to my answer about your trades. Why would you give up defensemen when you know how quickly that position can, you can go sideways on, as we've seen the past couple years, because of injuries or whatever? Why would you give up that when that's one area where you're deep? Um, I don't think you can afford to when, with the way the schedule looks.
0: Now you play Buffalo twice. You've got to win both those games. The playoff race, I mean, the Penguins are seven points ahead of the fifth-place team, Philadelphia, and that's a good thing. Of the top five, who is most likely to fade from the playoff race? Because, like I said, Philadelphia is starting to fall back, and their goaltending is a real problem.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Carter Hart uh, isn't ready for the Hall of Fame quite yet, I guess. Um, You know, so many people had put him there at the beginning of the year, but that Flyers team last year, they were a fun team to watch, right? And they did a lot of great things in terms of their puck movement and the scoring chances they created. But you know, what was a difference for them last year was Carter hot were sensational. Um, they haven't got sensational goaltending this year. They're, they're a little bit less responsible even than they were last year defensively. And I think Philly right now is the worst of the, the five you're speaking of. Um, I think the Penguins actually match up with Washington and New York better, even though I would put those two teams, even with the injuries the Islanders are dealing with, in a playoff series. I think I'd take maybe the Penguins against both of those teams this year, but I don't I don't know if that'll play out with the way the regular season's going to go. You know, Mark, I think this is going to be fascinating because I think there's going to be a chance, because of this Penguins' schedule and when they get healthy, that if they can stay within striking distance, they can make a real late run at the uh, number one spot in this division. And they kind of did that last year, and then they just fell apart with the start of that West Coast trip. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Penguins end up winning this division. A lot of it's going to depend on can they take advantage of the fortune that they've been given, which is at the time when these injuries would have crippled most teams, the schedule is cooperating with them. Well, that, that said, Rob, so they, off. they need Gino back.
0: Uh, yeah. When do you think that's going to be? You hear three weeks. What do you think?
1: Well, I think they got really lucky, Mark. I think that's the first thing I got to say because, you know, a week ago, Wednesday, the word from the Camp Malkin was, was concerning. Um, they were worried this was going to be a, a very lengthy injury and maybe even one that required surgery. So we're dealing with the best-case scenario. But, yeah, I think – I think right now, if you count last Tuesday to this Tuesday or maybe this Wednesday as, like, week one, I think two more weeks after that is, is the likeliest we'd see his return. Um, the good news is, Mark, there's a chance they're going to get Zucker back sooner than I anticipated. Uh, how effective he's going to be given the nature of his injury, I don't know, but that would be a big boost because to answer the very first question you asked me, if you put Zucker back in this lineup, He's one of those guys that has been able to produce throughout his career without a without a so-called great center. And if there's a way they could get him back before Malkin comes back, I think it could work out for them in a way very similar, again, to 16. Remember, Malkin got hurt in 16. That forced them to put the HBK line together. And then when Malkin came back, they just kept that line together because it was working. I'm not saying history is going to repeat itself. I'm not saying Zucker is Kessel but there is potential for a similar type of dynamic to exist with this season. Rob, good
0: stuff. We'll do it again soon. That is Rob Rossi from TheAthletic.com. I'm Mark Madden. You're listening to 105.9 The X.
1: Abby on The X. Weekday mornings from 6 to 10. I have
0: mammy bedtime. I get a better early, man. I get things done. The most mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. The X at 105.9. I got a shout out to this kid. He's one of the show's heroes. Spencer Lee from Franklin Regional High School wrestling for Iowa. He won his third straight NCAA title. He's on a 35-match winning streak. He won this year's title competing despite an ACL tear. And here's good news for the rest of the NCAA. You get an extra year of eligibility if you want. because of covid and he's coming back he won seven nothing in the final at 125 and he's coming back that kid is a badass he's the latter-day danny hodge i love it so congratulations to our buddy spencer lee from franklin regional uh no quarter brought to you by cw electrical services make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. let's go to this guy's been on hold for 50 minutes Mac from Orlando, Florida. Mac, you're on the Mark Madden Show.
1: Good afternoon, Mark. Enjoying the Rob Rossi conversation. Oh, thank you. Uh, Thank you for letting me have my my get-off-my-lawn moment here. Okay, first of all, Juju. All he had to do during his first contract was to produce as much as he could and then hold on to the football because he's playing for his second contract. Instead, his focus was on impressing 10- to 35-year-olds well, here's where he blew it. Well, no,
0: his, because- his, his uh, focus was on maximizing his exposure and his brand. If that's the demographic, maybe. But, you know, Juju's a chump change guy. He had the Verizon endorsement, but uh, that's going to be gone. I mean, you know, one million, excuse me, one year, eight million, the NFL GMs have told um, big companies what you are, and it's not a star. He had those other endorsements before when he was a B, second banana. But uh, but yeah, and now what he needs to do is refocus himself verbally and visibly to football and minimize the branding, but I bet it goes in the opposite direction.
1: Exactly. Here's what happened, though. He, he should have been impressing the 40 to 65-year-olds who are the coaches, the GMs, the owners, because they are the decision makers. Mark, if he listened to you, he has about an extra $40 million in the bank.
0: Oh, no question. Juju blew it. He lost in free agency. And if he doesn't wise up, he's going to lose for good in his next free agency. If he doesn't have a great season and cash in big next time, he's never going to cash in. In fact, it might already be too late.
1: And, and, and it's his own fault.
0: No, it's hilarious. Thank you for the call. Here's a quote from Spencer Lee. He apparently had problems with both his ACLs. He said this after he won the uh, NCAA tournament at 125. Eight days ago, I tore my ACL in my other knee, so I'm wrestling with no ACLs. Whatever, man. I don't want to tell anybody because excuses are for wusses. This was a tough tournament for me. I could barely wrestle. I could barely shoot. I can't sprawl, but there was no doubt. My teammates told me, no one can do this but you, and I believed them. Danny Hodge, come back to life. I wish he was a bit bigger, because he could go right into pro wrestling and be a superstar with that kind of guts and charisma. Okay, we've got Christopher on hold. We'll get to him in a second. We're going to talk about uh, a bunch of other kids who also have guts and charisma just around the corner, and I want your calls on Juju, and I want your calls on my notion that the Steelers are now in the era of dance clown dance. Check out my blog today. It's embarrassing. I have four videos of Juju and a bunch of other Steelers dancing, and and, and just, it's, it's embarrassing. Read what Jim Brown said. One of the greatest African-American athletes of all time. One of the first black athletes to really a pioneer in, in civil rights activism. Read what he had to say about black athletes dancing. Maybe I'll post it on the blog tomorrow. But check out my blog right now at the X website. But in just a moment, we're going to talk about a super cool story in area high school basketball. I'm Mark Madden, 1059 X. Wednesday night, the fans square up against the Savers. Buy Sam a drink and get his dog one, two.